Welcome to the ninth episode of Front End Happy Hour Podcast. In this episode, we're talking about all things animations. We're excited to have a special guest join us today, Sarah Drasner. She's currently a manager at Trulia and known for being an animation expert. Sarah, do you want to give a brief introduction and tell us what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. I'm a manager of UX design and engineering at Trulia. I manage the component library over there and also do a lot of work with their um, motion design language. And my favorite happy hour drink is the Kentucky Mule, which is like a Moscow Mule. Oh, but this. I don't know if I've had one of those. It's like really I've had the delicious. tequila one, which is like... What is it, the donkey or something? Do they still serve it in the copper glasses normally? Yep. Yeah. I thought it was just called a whiskey meal, so I learned something today. It's so much better. Like, it sounds so better. Alright, and uh, let's go around the table quick and introduce ourselves as well. Sarah, do you want to start? So I am also Sarah. I am Sarah Futterman. I'm a UI engineer at LinkedIn. I'm Augustus, um, front end engineer at Evernote. I'm Derek Showers, a UI engineer at LinkedIn as well. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a UI engineering manager at Netflix. So before we get into today's discussion, as each episode, we usually like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned, we will take a drink. Uh, what did we decide today's episode keyword is? Transition. Transition. So every time that we take it or say the word transition, we'll take a drink. First, I wanted to kind of talk about is when is it good to use an animation and when is it not such a good idea, or sometimes they can be overused. Yeah, I mean, I guess some, that's something that I talk about a lot because I think people think that just because I like animations that I think that everything should be animated, and that's mm-hmm. definitely not true. Um, I think part of the reason why that animation gets a bad rap is because people tend to over-animate stuff, and the best animation is stuff that's like, you're not even calling attention to the fact, especially if you're like doing UI animation, that people don't even notice that it's animated, per se. They're, they just notice it's a little bit more fluid. So I think anything that calls attention to itself as, like, hey, I'm an animation, like, in the Flash intros of days past, and that kind of <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, that was funny, because that's what always makes me think of, right, when I hear animations, is, like, I started out doing a lot of Flash, so it kind of dates myself a bit, but... That's what it was. People were always like, oh, let's build a great Flash animation. And there's always a skip intro. Everyone hit that. Everyone (laughs) actually watched those long animations. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, um, I do think that there's a time and a place for, like, beautiful, all-encompassing, you know, like some movies, that their, like, movie site is just, like, let's impress people, and they're not trying to get you to, like, do stuff. But if you're, like, getting in the way of people performing actions on the site, then that's probably not a good thing. Yeah, I've seen, like, uh, I... A good or a good example of implementation I've seen is just like when you have like a saved um, post or something, you know, like something we something I did recently is just kind of like a check mark that fades in and circles it. Just like it's just subtle enough that it's not like oh no, but it just looks really cool when you when you see that kind of thing on the um, UI. Yeah, the best animations are probably the ones that provide additional meaning to the user, like uh, what you were saying, and also something like providing context when the modal comes in. Just all sorts of things that aren't, like, sugar, but are, like, useful. Yeah, I I talk a lot about context shifting, because I think that when you're, like, at work and people are constantly jarring you to do some other task, you start to feel really unproductive, and I think it works the same way on a website. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you can retain context and a spatial awareness for the user, like, the user's always trying to figure out where they are in this new environment, and if you can kind of, like, keep that going for them with animation... Also, like, performant animation is really nice for, like, waiting times and loading times. Like, it can make actually, it can make it feel less, like, arduous. Like, it's, you're actually, like, paying the server for something and they're, like, not sure if a form went through. You can actually make that fun feel. By just by showing that, like, loader. So it's like, something's happening, it's just not done. It's yeah, like, yeah. Like, it's feedback to the user. It's yeah. crazy how different perceived performance can be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, speaking of, like, Context where one like rant that I had was like you know the parallax like parallax mm-hmm. like that was like something that like I feel could like it caught on as a trend and people did really well but then tons of people started doing it and like for sites a bunch of sites they just did it and it didn't make any sense and like it just like shows like how like animations don't always have a place for like a website necessarily or yeah people overdid the parallax. Yeah, <laughs> I'm guilty for it. I had to do it one yeah. time for a project that was like the designers wanted to overdo on, 
I did it, and I, I felt dirty doing it. <laughs> yeah, but I think there were I think there were really beautiful parallax sites, and like I think that there were really nice ones, and we've thrown them out entirely. This is like the That's the true. danger yeah. is like we've thrown them out entirely because it like was just overdone and used for things that it shouldn't have been used for. Times when you're like, really, I just need to read this. Like, please stop <laughs> scrolling it around and stuff like that. I think. A good example that I think of, that comes to mind was, I don't know if you guys ever saw that coin card that uh, you could put, like, any Visa or debit card onto one card. And I remember their, like, campaign site or promotional site was, it actually, as you scrolled, showed how the card, it was using parallax scrolling, it showed how the card actually worked. It was, like, three or four Visas all being transferred into one card and then swiping. I was like, okay, that was like, it was totally being parallax scroll to the max, but it actually made a lot of sense to help you. Yeah, it was informative and it kind of connected each section. Yeah. Like, otherwise you just like, you kind of get sick of like the old feature pages where it's like, here's a section, here's a section. It connected them all really seamlessly. But that does take like more time and effort. It, you know, when, <laughs> oh, it's, yes, done, when yes. it's done badly, it's done really badly. And when it's done well, you're like, oh, okay, that's why we have these things. <laughs> yes. And that was one of the ones where they did that right. Yes. Like, yes, you can use parallax scroll at this point. So. Yeah, it tends to work better like with things that are particularly supposed to be an experience rather than like an informative article, like a timeline or some kind of like exploration that's really just supposed to be, you know, I'm here to explore and not just to figure out what the specs are on my new Apple thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, um, speaking of Apple, <laughs> uh, I was just going to say Is this that, where like, you talk about the metal trash can? <laughs> um, some of their stuff on Apple.com is really well done because it's very subtle um, and it has like some sort of um, elements of parallax, but then also animations like you scroll up the page, I remember seeing like, the lightning connector like connects to the phone the bottom, like on scroll. So it's just like a very simple, like you don't even know that it's happening unless um, but it has nice. See, I I disagree with that. Especially like when they came out with that like big old site about the new uh Mac Pro. It was just like this whole parallax experience and I'm like I'm trying to find the specs to figure out if this is worth it, it's not but it just yeah. was impossible to find anything. Like, yeah, some are definitely overdone, but uh, I was talking more like just the, the subtle ones. That, uh, yeah. yeah, I think the New York Times does a really good job with some of mm-hmm. them. They had like one where it was somebody's journey through Alaska or something, and it was like yeah. zoomed in, and you can kind of see stuff. And um, that one was really nice because I think people shared it more because of the pair. It was not getting in the way. It was actually like made you feel like you're part of the journey. And I actually read more. I don't read on the internet just like everybody else. <laughs> Pictures and animations. <laughs> and uh, I think I read that article more than some of their other ones, like all the way through, just because it was yeah. so engaging. I think that's interesting, too, that you even said that it was almost like shared more. It was because when it is done well, people, regardless of even, well, hopefully it's a good article, but it's also like, hey, did you see like all this great animations in there? And people will share it. If it's done right. Not right. just like, hey, did you see overkill? <laughs> right. like, no one's sharing that, or, or else they're probably hating on it and sharing it that way. Yeah, and even these sites are probably an example of like going really far with animation. I would never actually do that on Trulia's site or something. Like mm-hmm. on Trulia's site, I'm really trying to like get out of the way of people trying to look for houses mm-hmm. and like making that home buying experience like, make more sense and, and stuff as I'm sure like with uh, Netflix and things like that. You people don't want to like stop watching movies so that they can watch you animate things. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That could get quite annoying. It's like every time we're we're gonna show you this crazy animation. We're like, I'm trying to look through these houses and there's all these crazy transitions. <laughs> I was wondering. I know. I felt like it was a while. But yeah, I think it can become too much, and then you're you're getting in the way of the user. So I'm also interested. You do a lot of uh, animations with JavaScript. What are some of the libraries uh, that you tend to use or like to use that actually help you in the day-to-day in animations? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I actually try everything because I'm just a naturally curious person and I can't, I don't think that there's a single animation tool that I'm not like poking around at and trying to see how it works. I do tend to default to Greensoft mm-hmm. because um, they're just like, it's just easier. They solve so many problems. Like I think the biggest Thing. Like, I, I strayed off of Greensock for a minute at work and then went back to it because it solves cross-browser consistent inconsistencies, and that 
especially for things like responsive and mobile, ends up being a really big deal, like old Safari mobile browsers and stuff. You're just like, I don't want to think about this. And GreenSoft really does that heavy lifting for you. Um, it's really performant. I wrote a CSS Tricks article like where I did benchmarks of all of these um, animation libraries and found, like this was before I was working with it very heavily and started working with it more heavily because I was like, oh my god, this is like as good as native. <laughs> I mean, that's like hard to do. So I tend to work with GreenSock a lot. I've been working with React Motion a lot lately because I've been working with React. Um, I think we're going to probably delve into that a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I try everything. I'm also really curious about mo.js, which is written by a guy named Lego Mushroom. He's, like, super, <laughs> super awesome. And it's in beta right now, so I wouldn't recommend it for a production site because I'm actually, like, watching that repo and he's just updating it like crazy. So until it gets, like, fully launched, I would say, like, play with play it, with but it. I'm not going to, like, put it on any website that I really work with. Um, but there's there's a lot to off, be offered in each one of them. I'd say GreenSock covers the most ground of anything, but everything has, like, something that they do really well over other things. I have a question. Uh, this is, like, a uh, probably a very beginner question about SVG animations, but so I know there's, like, a lot of different ways to animate an SVG, like, just using SVG itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, you can do it with CSS, and then there's these libraries that you were just talking about. So, like, what's the advantages and disadvantages, I mean, if anyone knows, like, over doing it one way or the other? It sounds like you prefer, like, the JavaScript library way. Yeah, I mean, um, so lately I've been, like, rewriting people's Canvas animations and just SVG and vanilla JavaScript just for fun and to learn things. So, yeah, there's definitely, like, ways that everything is better. I'm used to, like, letting GreenSock or some other library do the heavy lifting, but it's kind of fun to see what happens when I don't do that and just use the WordPress animation frame. Mm-hmm. CSS animations are really good for a few different transitions, but I make really complex and long animations, mm-hmm. and when you have a timeline, having, like, once you're mm-hmm. starting to, like, chain delays, something like a timeline is really, really awesome, yeah. and GreenSock offers that. Mo.js also does stuff like that. I would say that GreenSock's timeline is probably the most powerful for like longer animations. They also solve cross-browser transform origin issues that exist in SVG that CSS just has in it. Like it's just part of the spec. One example of this is like if you've transformed an SVG element or property inside the SVG DOM and then you try to apply another transform origin, the way that that spec is interpreted is really, like, counterintuitive, and GreenSock just, like, fixes that. They've got, like, stuff that they're doing under the hood to, like, do it the way that you assume it would work. Applying those kind of transitions over and over again, the more complex it is, the more you want a library that's going to handle the stuff that you need. If it's just a couple of things, it doesn't really matter, to be honest. Like, if you're just doing, like, one or two things... It's fine, yeah. but yeah, I would say that like the more complex you're going to make it, the more you're gonna so if you're just like fading in a modal or something, then probably CSS is, is yeah. And I don't think you'd want to do that with SVG. Yeah. You'd probably want to do something well, more yeah, graphic true. oriented um, yeah, yeah. with SVG. My general rule for that is just kind of if it's like something that's a function, it should be JavaScript. If it's like CSS, if it's like something that's like an enhancement, it's usually CSS. I guess you could also go and add a class or two as like on a on a function, like on a click or something, add a class to the element and use CSS that way. Mm-hmm. But you're already in JavaScript, so Yeah, you need jQuery three because class operations aren't supported in so that you're right. I only know that because I am the one who was annoying <laughs> <That's that. laughs> so they listened to me as like bugging Sarah so I told like, can you help me get this through? <laughs> like, Please add this to the spec of jQuery. <laughs> I that, like, actually, when you're trying to do more of the whole, like, class animation and whatnot, it gets a little confusing when you're trying to control it with JavaScript, especially when you're using transitions versus animations in CSS, and it gets a little weird. You did just say transition. I did, I did. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> 
I, actually, I, I know, um, well, I was like creeping around and like I saw you posted an article about. I was creeping on you, Sarah. I was investigating uh, an article about how you talk about using Greenstock with React and how there's like this React Greenstock enhancer. I was kind of curious about your thoughts on that and like bringing Greenstock into React. Yeah. I thought it was that. Yeah, um, I would say that like Greenstock doesn't always work with React, but I've gotten it to work of, like quite a few times. If you just are attaching one timeline function to like one event, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're trying to do something a little bit more intense and like with more manipulation, then it doesn't work so well. Um, I haven't worked with GreenSock, GSOC, Enhancer that much, but what I will say is that they use one of my code pens as like a demo for an example, and it seemed very verbose compared to what I wrote, which might be like just React and like trying to get stuff to work because the pen itself had some, you know, responsive qualities and things. So I've been typically just like working with like adding a function to React and then like attaching that to a timeline. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we can like get into like the nitty gritty of like when I switch to what, um, because it is a little bit more complicated than just working with the regular DOM. But I think I've s- steered a little away from the React GSEP enhancer because it seemed maybe <laughs> over engineered, but I could be totally wrong about that. And I haven't worked with, I mean, like, I guess the like, underlying thing there is I haven't worked with it that much to like really know. It just seemed kind of verbose. Yeah, just from like, from my understanding, like, at least like whenever I looked up SVG animation, like Greenstock is always like the thing that people are like, Greenstock, dude, you gotta like check this out. This is awesome. Between next things, just kick butt. And like, I've looked at other things like Snap SVG, like from Adobe mm-hmm. and like, well, I play, I, I, I'm a huge fan of D3, but that's, I, I think it's like kind of different for like, more for like data and like taking that, it makes it like really easy to like take data and like animate SVGs and stuff, but it's just like, it seems like Greensoft is so dominant in SVG animation. Yeah, world. actually like Snap SVG is not an animation like Oh, okay. If you talk to Dmitry Baranovsky, who's the author of it, he never really intended it to be an animation library. And even if you look at some of their demos, you're like, wow, that's a really cool way of animating SVG, and then you like look at the code, and it's a lot of CSS animations in there. Um, because he says like I use the right tool for the job. Sometimes that was Snap, and sometimes that was CSS animation. Whereas like with GreenSock, you really wouldn't switch back to CSS. Um, so I think it's probably not as performant in some ways, just because it really is trying to be the jQuery of SVG. So it's, it allows you to do like DOM manipulations within SVG that jQuery doesn't support, which is like really awesome. And Snap is great at that. It's not really an animation library. Like GSAP is just like, we're an animation library. We're going to help you do all the animation things. Um, and they allow you to tween any integer with any integer, mm-hmm. even regardless of whether it's spec like animatable. So that helps with things like attributes, thing, like the view box can be animated, which you can't really do otherwise unless you're like applying with request animation frame. Uh, Snap doesn't do that. Uh, their morph SVG plugin is the only way that you can tween two, uh, different IDs with two different path point values. Um, like Snap SVG need exactly the same point value, same with smile. Um, morph SVG, you can just like point from one ID to another and then it like magically takes care of it for you. That's amazing. So I'm sounding like an ad, uh, but I don't, they don't pay me or anything. (laughs) I just really like their tools. But it also sounds like you've tested them all, which is great too. I think getting familiar with like all the different tools out there is probably very useful. Yeah, I mean, that's just like what I know. I think some people know this stuff by like being, like reading all the spec, like Sarah Sweden and Amelia Bellamy Royce, who are both really smart and super awesome, like know everything because they read the spec. I don't read the spec. I just like bang my head on it from every direction <laughs> until I know it. And I read the spec sometimes, but like that's not my default. My default is just like battle testing it. So yeah. I like that better. I'm not a big reader of documentation either. <laughs> it's like, I'll figure it out as I go. And that, you learn from it. Probably 
could have learned a lot better. Sometimes I read the documentation, I'm like, yeah, I probably should have just read that instead of figuring it out for an hour. But, you, but I mean, you, like, learn through pain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you, were, you always remember it after that, too. It's better than just reading. I feel like I need to do a couple shots before I look at the documentation. <laughs> You had actually brought up about your code pens. They're super impressive. Oh, thank uh, you. What's, uh, what inspires you to do some of them? Like, I know even, like, the, one of the, I think Derek just had it on his computer there, um, the responsive panda machine creator. That thing's cool, but, like, what, what inspired you to create that? Um, I guess, like, for a lot of these things, it's the tech comes first, mm-hmm. and then the design just follows. So, like, I, I feel like, a lot of times it'll be like, oh, I wonder if I could get this to work like this. Like I just, today I was working with um, animating the view box. So like the idea is like, I wonder if I could get the view box to be animated through get view box, which returns an SVG rep. Like I bet I can. Then I just design things so that it fits that concept. So the responsive Huggy laser panda factory. Awesome. That's, I knew there was a name for it. I'm like, I'm going to butcher it, so I'm not even going to try. That was, um, that was really just an excuse to see if I could, like, make Lego blocks that fit into each other and had different interaction points and make it work on mobile. Um, so I think most of the ideas I come up with tend to be, like, me wanting to prove something can happen, and then I just design around that. That's a cool idea. So it's, like, just basically trying to prove and have an example and say, all right, yeah, I've, I've proven this works, here it is, and, like, it's a lot cooler than just, like, a box or something. Yeah, because, like, once you have that, like, initial tech part, then, like, then you can just really go crazy, you know? Like, taking ideas of, like, stuff that shouldn't be, like, a laser panda that's huggy. (laughs) But it's great. (laughs) You created a laser panda. (laughs) So, on that note, like, normally when you're doing, like, personal stuff or fun, you start with the tech and you go from there. When you're doing actual work, what's kind of your process for choosing that kind of thing? Oh, like uh, actual work, like at my job? Yeah, I'm assuming you don't like start with the tech. When no, you're... Um, my actual job, so I do, I do two things. I'm a hybrid kind of person, and I'm one of only two at like a huge company of hybrid people. So it's not very normal to be hybrid. There's only design and there's engineering. Um, so I'm handed design JIRA tickets and engineering JIRA tickets. And then I tend to like act as like an interaction in between layer, but it is really just like what is called for at that time. And most of that is like done by product. Product is the one who decides what I'm working on most of the time. It's like, oh, we really need you to make a sticky element for everybody or like, you know, what, what have you. So that I guess tends to be either the, it's just like whatever is needed. Do you um, find you have to like fight to get like animations? Sometimes it's viewed as like an extra thing. Actually, I'm kind of fortunate because there's a lot of buy-in at my company for animation. I haven't gotten to work on it so much because I manage the component library and there's always something else that's like takes precedence. Right. <laughs> um, but like we we have gone pretty far recently in doing stuff for it. It's not public yet because it takes a long time to get stuff going. And you'll know I'll probably like a lot about it when <laughs> when we do do um, stuff. But like it actually hasn't been too hard to get buy-in for it, especially if you do nice prototypes. If you're like showing people how beautiful an, a performant animation that doesn't get in the user's way that like is really nice for UI UX people are like yeah do that so i haven't had too much that's interesting because i think um, i think sarah has a good point about it being uh, hard sometimes to convince product that animations are important i think like um i'm curious cuz i don't it doesn't seem like a lot of companies that i've worked for have a lot of designers that can do the prototyping with the animations and like a lot of visual designers just give specs and box and they're very static. And so it's, it's hard to help. It's, I think if you can't, I think it's an excellent point. Like if you have a prototype, you can show how awesome it is, but it's very hard to find that person who can do that prototyping. Yeah. I mean, you definitely need somebody who's passionate yeah. about it for sure. And I think, um, I like work with CodePen a lot and it, it helps me move really quickly. Like a lot of times I'll screenshot a piece of the product. I won't like 
builds every part of it. I'll just screenshot that piece and then animate what's necessary so that it's very easy to throw away if it doesn't work. You know, otherwise if I built a whole thing, I would be really like, this took me two months. I don't know. No. (laughs) That would be. That's a great idea. So you're basically taking like screenshot of the website, put it as a background image. And like, if it was like adding a modal window, you put something that's clickable and it pops up. Yep. I just, to the bare bones of what people need to see so that I'm not sad when things inevitably (laughs) change or something is thrown away. I think you just have, I think you have a very interesting skill set too. Um, like that I I wish maybe more companies would would promote or like encourage that kind of, you know, this is like, yeah, I just think there's huge, I think if people see that, that stuff that you have on CodePen or like, or just anyone like, you know, making these animations, I think it's very easy to convince somebody that this is, uh, an advantage to, to, or this makes the UI so much better, but, um, it was just hard to find that hard person. to scale that position too. Yeah. I mean, well, I've actually been seeing more of, actually, of our designers, I've been seeing more of it. Like, I've been seeing, some of them are on Framer.js they've been starting to use, yeah. which Framer. is like, yeah, it's, I think it's like CoffeeScript. I've only looked at it like once or twice, like yeah. years ago. And it's like, just to try and articulate to us, this is how it should be built and this is what I'm trying to achieve. It does help because it's a lot, it's really hard to explain in animation. It's not something that you can really describe in words. And so actually being able to see it and like at least have an idea of that solved a lot. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Framer for that. Like I didn't get to work with it a ton because I just went straight to engineering, but like it's really awesome, especially if you're using Sketch just to kind of throw it in there and move a couple things around. That's cool. I haven't, people always ask me if I'm using it. That's one of the only tools that I haven't been playing with, mostly because I just have a thing against compiled code. I don't know. Yeah, like, I, mean, I the just, point is like, it's exactly for what you're using CodePen for. It's like, you make a little thing, you show it to people, and you throw it away. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the issue though is the stuff that I make with CodePen, like, I could theoretically take the JavaScript timeline and use that. If it gets, if I get buy-in, I'm actually using that function later. The issue that I have with stuff with Framer is you make this whole thing, and then you have to either use the compiled code or remake it. And the only thing that's bad about that is the debugging. Like, I just, I think it's okay until something goes wrong. This is probably, like, small-minded of me, but it seems like if I'm writing it with just straight-up JavaScript, I know how to fix it. But if it's compiled, then I don't yeah. I've heard that, like, uh, Google and such use a lot, and, like, most of their designers aren't going to be touching the code at the end, so they just kind of, like, hand it off. Yeah, I think that's, like, I think your skill set's awesome. I wish there was more people mm-hmm. with your skill set. Uh, but maybe it's, it's, uh, it's a way for designers without that skill set to be able to well, yeah, even visualize what even our designers, they're not, we're not using that code in production. It's like just, it's a way to illustrate to us, like as engineers, like this is what we're trying to achieve and that's how we use it. And, and so, yeah, it's not like we're taking that code and being like, great, you wrote this. I can just dump (laughs) that in because yeah, it's compiled. It's not, we have no idea like the performance of it. We have to rewrite it. We're using React. They're not like, so it's like, how do you fit that in? So I can see what your point there is too, is it's, you know, if you're able to reuse some of your JavaScript, well, then you're part of the way there already. You've got buy-in, and now you're like, great, I've actually already wrote it. I don't have to rewrite it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting what you said about the skill set thing. I think people do have a hard time with the hybrid stuff. It's funny to me, too, like that, like, full stack is okay, but, like, designer to front end is yes. not. It's like you're just losing that bar mm-hmm. over, like, up the scale, but people have a really hard time. They want you to, like, fit and I've even had, like, trouble at bigger companies just, like, no, I'm, like, both a designer and engineer. And people are, like, pick one. I'm, like, no. <laughs> like, I like being in that world. I want to do both. And then like, they frown upon saying, oh, I'm, I only do front end. I don't do back end. What do you mean? <laughs> I think it's valuable that, like, designers who develop for the web understand how the web works, especially, like, how things break down. I think that's sometimes some issues I've had with designers. Like, they might design something for one spec, like in the desktop, but then they don't think about how it might break down for mobile or like others for responsive. So Yeah, I'm definitely used to having that conversation. <laughs> I went to school for design and like it was great when I was doing freelance because I could just, you know, do the whole thing. But it when you start talking to companies it's just uh 
you kind of have to choose or you kind of have to create your own position, which is sounds like what you did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing that's kind of cool is if you do do both, people confide in you from each side, so you have an ability to help the organization. Like, the engineers will be like, you know, the designers have been giving us these specs that don't do this. And you're like, oh, I'll go talk to them. Because you're, like, friends with all of them. And you'd be like, yo, can you just do specs like this? And they're like, oh, sure. But, like, that would have been a really awkward conversation. Or, like, the other way around where, like, you know, the designers are like, why doesn't engineering just provide this? I'm like, <laughs> they probably can. Like, you know, so like you can kind of like make a bridge sometimes across both orgs, which is nice. I think that that's like a really good feeling that you're like making people like helping people communicate a little bit better. You speak both languages. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah, that does sound annoying <laughs> or something like that. I've gotten the feedback, especially like when I was working as a designer developer kind of thing, but, like, the designers love you because you can go in and you can, like, grab all the stuff. They don't have to spec out everything. And then, like, the engineers are like, oh, okay, you're not going to do something stupid with a hover-on mobile or whatever. Right. <laughs> Alright, Sarah, you had mentioned uh, now working in React. How have you found animating in React? I've had so much difficulties doing it, so I'm interested to hear how you're making out doing that. Yeah, I mean, it, it is totally different. Um, and I think that there's, like, a huge like, body of information just on that because of two, like, basic factors. And one of them is the virtual DOM. Mm -hmm. The virtual DOM probably being the most complicating factor because I've seen some, like, weird race conditions between the DOM and the virtual DOM working with it. So, um, yeah, the, the things that I found to work with React in terms of the DOM is, like, Canvas is attaching one node to uh, React, which helps a lot because then you're just doing all of the interaction and animation in Canvas. Um, the other thing that I work with a lot is React Motion, and then I work with CSS. I think there's been like a resurgence of CSS animation because of React, uh, because it's like a pretty simple way of working with things. Um, React Motion is really, really awesome, but it is very complicated. So I think the like barrier to entry is hard if you do have something like a product deadline and you're like, I don't have 17 hours to play with React Motion, I'm going to just like write some CSS animations. Even with CSS animations, I've, I found some difficulty though. Um, in GSAP, I have gotten to work pretty well, especially if you're attaching like one function timeline to a particular interaction that tends to work well. If you start to like complicate things with a lot of different stuff, then GSAP can kind of like throw its hands in the air and complain. Would you do like uh would you use something like GSAP or uh like even React Motion for if you're just wanting to do like UI transitions, which I did just say. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. The strength of React Motion is that you are in React and you're using React in like the correct quote unquote way. Um so it's really, really good for animating something from here to there. And it, and I think like actually the motion is really beautiful. It's really similar to game based animation where what you're doing is you're assigning like physics and mass to an object and then sending it out on its way. So that's really good for like getting something from here to there, but not very good for like when you need really finite timing. You don't have that. Um, if you need something to happen one after another, <clears throat> it's not as Good. He just added, Changlu just added the on ends to uh, React Motion, which is great. But like, I would say if you have like a bunch of different things that you want to have happen, we have a few animations that I'm working with right now for Trulia where like, it's just like 17 things one after another. That would be way too verbose in React Motion. Um, if you're just having one toggle that moves from here to there, you can make the motion look really beautiful and great motion. So it, it's like the right tool for the job. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So it's like not something that you would want to use for a ton of things all going off at the same time, but if it is just some UI component changing, it's actually probably the best the solution for that. Yeah, and I think that the motion, the like sprint parameters are really, really beautiful and can have like really beautiful things happen with them. Very cool. At Trulia, you're now like migrating to React? Is that the... Idea. Yeah, yeah, basically, like, <clears throat> um, I think enough people got really interested in React, and we had a big training with, um, Brian, Flo uh, Brian Florence and Michael Jackson, and 
it was like a four day training. So that was really awesome. Um, so most teams are moving to React right now. We're rewriting all of our components in React. And so there's a bunch of stuff where we're using React Motion. And then there's a bunch of stuff where we're using GSAP still. Um, and attaching that function to something. But so, so in React still with the GSAP. In React. Yeah. And actually that training, I will say, I'll give Michael Jackson and Ryan Florence a plug because it is very, very good training. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I went through, I was, we did it at Netflix. I think we, maybe it's only, I think we've done it a couple times, but maybe, I know we've done it the one time and it was just amazing how much like they teach you in four days. Yeah, and they're like clearly really, really like expert at it. Like, yeah. but just like the, uh, their ability to live code and do all of that stuff, <laughs> I'm just like blown away every time I, I hear them yeah. talk. I, I remember the, like the, when they were here doing it at Netflix, we were also, we went to a React meetup, uh, I think it was at Yahoo, and Ryan Florence was speaking, uh, like Brian Holt, who's actually on the panelist, um, on front and happy hour, he was speaking before Ryan, and so he went up to speaking, and so I was talking to Ryan, and I'm like, oh, what are you speaking on tonight? And he's like, I don't know, what should I speak on? And like, we're talking through this, he had no clue what he was going to speak on, and then goes up there, and it's just like live coding, because I mean, it's like, that's what they do on a day-to-day basis, is teach React. And so, yeah, he just goes up there and is like pulls from his lesson plans and starts live coding and it's like super impressive. And there's no failing. Like I'm always worried the minute I'm pre- presenting at a conference or something. And if I have to do a live demo, like it just freaks me out. It's like something's going to fail. And it, it yeah, I mean, I've gone as far as to like animate pens so that they look like I'm live coding. And <laughs> I like that. That's a smart idea. <laughs> live coding it. Like I'm like, I guess it would help people to know what it looks like when I'm doing this, but I don't really want to do it <laughs> for real. It's that fear of it not working, yes. or you're coding in front of this whole audience and you miss like a semicolon or something, and it's yeah, like... Yeah, I mean, I've seen like really smart people mess this up. Yep. <laughs> so. It's nerve-wracking. I mess it up even when I'm by myself coding, but now I've got to do it in front of an audience. That's even funny. So. Yeah, yeah. I guess, too, what would you recommend for frameworks... Uh, or things to, for someone to get started if they're like, I really want to add more animations to my website or to just like do something cool like the laser panda. Like what, what should they get started looking at? And- yeah. I mean, I think there's positive and negatives to all of the animation stuff. I wrote an article for CSS tricks recently called compare a comparison of animation technologies that kind of goes through each one and says like pros and cons to kind of help people at a glance get started with things like, WebGL and 3.js are beautiful, but like, do you need them for UI animation? No. You need them for like, you know, a car racing across the screen, like that thing that I was talking about with like the movie type, like Life of Pi, um, <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, that's where you can get away with that. It's yeah. Like, something like that. I'm like, I, I want to see the tiger or whatever. <laughs> yes. Like the only reason you're there is to like get excited you're about like, a get film. Get me stoked on this movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I kind of go through each one of them and say the positive and negatives of each. I've, work with all of the things that I talked about in that, in that article. So it really depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to move tons of pixels around, Canvas is the best thing that you can be using. If you're trying to like make a really performant, responsive animation to like illustrate a concept, SVG and like either Greensock, Greensock for like really, really long ones or like CSS for small little interactions. Um, so it really depends on, you know, it's like the right tool for the job. No, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, you have a book that you've been writing uh, yeah. coming out on animations. Uh, so I'm interested, what's what's the book about and when is it going to be ready for us to read? Yeah, uh, it's called SVG Animation. So I just kind of narrow the focus a little bit because animation is just huge. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm, I talk about like all sorts of different ways of working with SVG. So there's pieces that are E3, there are pieces that like a bunch of the book is Greensock, a bunch of the book is CSS. The first part of the book is just going into the SVG DOM and understanding what everything means. I don't think that people, many people write SVGs from scratch, but it's helpful to see what each thing means, especially with, for things like circles and rects and stuff. You can actually write them from scratch. It's not they look really complicated when you look at that code, and then once you understand it, you're like, that's not that bad, actually. I could write that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it just puts kind of some tools in your tool belt. Um, it's especially helpful for debugging. The nice thing about SVGs, and part of the reason why I talk about them a lot, is that 
They can be really small file size if you design for, for performance. They're like retina ready, meaning like you don't have to do any kind of image replacement or any special code to make them great on retina or all devices. And it makes it really, really awesome for a, like a responsive world where we have to think about just like we have a huge testing matrix on the front end. Um, you know, I talk about this with my back end friends. Like this is just like so many devices and so many things to think about. And Samsung is like pooping out another black rectangle every week. I think that's like a deadly story. Uh, and then we um, still have to support the older versions that like, they're just the processor on this terrible. Right, right. It's, 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 it's terrible. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, that book is just all the ways to animate SVGs. Cool. Yeah, I actually just looked at, was just looking at this article you were talking about too. It looks like what I was asking earlier about the differences between, because I think a lot of people probably don't know. Um, the differences between all the different animation, myself included. So, um, so yeah, this is really cool. It goes through not only the, um, different technology, but also the free frameworks and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's my opinion. It's an opinion yeah. article. So, like, I'm sure people can disagree with stuff if they want. Like, I think there's a guy in the comments who's like, loves it, smile <laughs> and is really upset that I'm talking about its deprecation. But, like, you know, it's just, um, oh, yeah. this is me, like, speaking about what I, know about and in the hopes that that actually like saves people time because it took me a long time to even know all of that stuff it was just a lot of so we should read the comments first <laughs> <laughs> you can if you want i kind of stayed out of it because i thought it was kind of interesting <laughs> i'm not in that that comment yeah. thread that much because i'm like how long are they they talked about it for like two weeks after i was done with that <laughs> Someone should have made a following up blog post that was like, I'm contradicting everything that Sarah said. You know, smile's the way to go. It happens. Oh, it definitely happens all the time. Oh, and I thought it was funny too, you are mentioning about writing uh, SVG like from scratch. And I think that was actually one of my, years ago I had to like write um, SVG from scratch. That was kind of my first introduction to SVG. And like I hated my life for the first little while until like grasp. Like, I mean, I was writing for a bank like, um, some graphs and everything like that. And so you were, it was like mortgage calculators and all these other crazy predictions for your future finances and, and it would output to a graph and it had to dynamically do this and then create a PDF of it. And so that's why SVG made a lot of sense. But like I hated it at first until you actually started grasping. It's not that hard. Yeah. And I think working with D3, you brought up D3 mm -hmm. earlier. Like I think working with D3 is pretty similar to that. Like you do actually know, need to know a little bit about SVG DOM in order to work with it. Um, which is, so it's, it kind of like feeds into that pretty nicely. But the other nice thing about SVG is you don't necessarily have to know a lot about SVGs to work with it. Like because it gives you a navigable DOM, like, a designer could hand you oh, yeah. a big, complicated SVG that they just exported from Illustrator, and you could just yeah. grab, like, slap a class on it and yep. animate it. Like, that's also really nice. Don't forget to optimize it first. Yes, yes. yes. SVG. How, SVG. How do you optimize from Illustrator, though? Run it through an optimizer tool. That's smart. Because there's nothing. Uh, there's, there's, like, there's like a checkbox or something. But no, SVG. doesn't Sketch do a lot of you use Sketch at all? Uh, Sketch is actually worse than Illustrator oh, for really? SVG. Like, yeah, it used to be the opposite, but um, mm -hmm. Illustrator came out with a new version where they're, uh, the export tool. So don't do save as SVG, do export mm -hmm. SVG. Yeah. And that is actually really good. I still run it through an optimizer yeah. though. So I typically use Jake Archibald's SVG OMG, which is a web-based GUI for SVGO, which is a terminal-based thing that you can use from GitHub if you're more comfortable with your terminal. Although I would say that the GUI is really nice because you can see if something's getting messed up in the translation. Like I like terminal-based tools, but for SVG, you do need that like visual cue of like, oh wow, that got really messed up. <laughs> yeah, <that's cool. laughs> um, and there's also like Keir Colin Ridge's SVG editor. So. That is SVGO, is that how you say it? Yeah, SVGO. SVGO on the command line if you have this. It's really helpful. Awesome. Should we do picks? Yep. Okay, so today my picks are, uh, my first pick is, since uh, Sarah's been talking a lot about JS, I wanted to touch on CSS. So I had the pleasure of uh, reviewing Estelle Wells book on transitions and animations in CSS. Transitions. Transitions. Way to add it into the pick. I like that. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so, uh, that's my pick. Mm. 
The other pick is just for fun. Uh, Alexa and Pebble announced a really cool integration that's got a lot of interesting stuff. Um, Do you have I'm, a Pebble and Alexa? No, so like the, the Pebble Core. Yeah. Have you heard about that? Um, it's like this little just piece of hardware that has all the Pebble software on it, but it also works with Alexa. And people have made the comparison. It's like, you know, an iPod shuffle that plays Spotify, but there's way more you can do with it. And uh, there's, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with it. Very cool. Asus, what do you have? Uh, yeah, so I have two picks. Um, one is from my investigations. <laughs> uh, no, I, I watched your keynote, and um, you mentioned uh, jankfree.org. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really sick um, site. It just has a lot of good material on like how to make... I, I really like their motto, which is, let's make the, w- the web silky smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just has tons of good resources, so check that out. And then also... Um, a CSS Tricks article I've always been a huge fan of that got really, really into SVGs was the icon system with SVG sprites. I honestly think that's like what everyone should use because like other than having to like sprite up a giant JPEG or PNG of all these like little icons shoved together, you can just have like a symbol map and like there's like the article talks more about it, but like now I have a Gulbit SVG store and then it just like takes all those SVG files and then shoves it into a symbol map and then I can just use them everywhere. Yeah, I think you integrated that yeah. Evernote quite it's a awesome. bit. So. Yeah. They talk about uh, Ico Moon on this. Oh, that's a really cool... Uh, yeah, I love Ico Moon. Yeah, that's a little... I really like the SVG Sprite stuff, too. I mean, there's some really cool ways that you can do, like, XHR, and, like, so you don't have to, like, put it all in your... Uh, in your location. Oh, but... <laughs> Derek, what do you have? Um, so, my two picks are not SVG-related, so... Sorry. <laughs> the the one I found this week sometime I think on Product Hunt it's called How To um, it's a command line tool at NPM module um, but it's actually really cool you just type How To and then whatever your search term is and it searches uh, Stack Overflow but what's cool about it is it actually um, will essentially pretty print the response so it like gives you this like answer like you were get it from a human like it doesn't just um, um, output what's on Stack Overflow but there's an animated GIF on there I think it's pretty cool and the other thing that I've been playing around with a lot lately is a thing called Worker for some personal stuff that I've been working on. It's a, it's basically like Travis CI or Travis CI, but it's um, but it's free and um, they allow you to do it with like private GitHub repos and stuff. So um, if you do any um, continuous uh, integration stuff, it's like super simple, but it's just cool. It's free and works really well. So. That's really cool. Uh, so, actually, my first pick isn't even really technology-related, actually. Um, so You're just getting more abstract. Yeah, exactly. I was, We're transitioning. Uh, ah, nice. Cheers. Cheers. So, I was uh, in New York with... Uh, Jem was speaking at uh, EmpireJS last week, I guess it was. And so, I ended up going to the play that's called Sleep No More. It was actually really cool. Uh, it's an interactive play in New York City. All the audience has to wear masks and you like, it's like five different floors and you just kind of follow around characters and how they're interacting with people. So each story is, you kind of get a different experience in everyone else, which is pretty cool. So I highly recommend it. I would actually go back again. It's like you, I've heard some people go like multiple times. I, I can see why is that you get a different experience each time. And then uh, my second pick is a link to a presentation that's about the internet trends for 2016. Uh, an engineer that I work with uh, at Netflix had shared it with our team, but it, it just goes into like where the mobile uh, devices are at, different broadband speeds, like all different, t- like all things internet and like kind of more business oriented things that definitely worth checking out. Sarah, what do you have for us? <clears throat> um, yeah, so I'm writing a book, but also Val Head is writing a book, um, and we're like trading each other technical edits. Um, nice. But she uh, she's focusing mainly on like um, animating UIs, and I just thought it was really it hasn't come out yet, but when it does, I highly suggest picking it up because I learned a ton in like I'm thinking about this stuff all the time, and like she covers stuff that I never even thought about. Um, so I think that one's a really really great one. The other kind of like strange and awesome one was I went to ValioCon and spoke there recently and it's meant for like designers and makers quote unquote but I thought that the conference was actually much broader than that because 
Drew asked us to speak about what inspires us and like the challenges you, we face. And I thought what was really cool about the conference was like how different the talks were. Like even just with that theme, you ask like people who are entrepreneurs and people who like make like crazy stuff on the internet. Like one guy was like this Facebook guy who makes Facebook live and like the difference in the way that people talk about their experiences with inspiration and challenges are so vast that it was a really, really inspiring conference. And it was also on the beach in San Diego and there were like <laughs> crazy bonfires and stuff every night. So um, that just happened. But next year when it comes around, I can't recommend that conference highly enough. It, I just thought it was really, I left there feeling like really rejuvenated and ready to work. So um, I think it was great. That's really cool to get like other perspectives on people, how they get inspired. Because it's like even how I asked you, like how do you create these crazy animations and things like that on your code pen? I think that's really cool to just understand someone's process and like how they think through that stuff. Yeah, and even like the challenges part ended up being really, really cool too. Like a guy from Rally Interactive talked, uh, yeah, Rally Interactive talked, and I really like their work a lot. And he was talking about like we got sued and like all of this stuff, and you're like. Oh, even these people that I like put on this pedestal have problems too. And in some ways that was kind of inspiring in and of itself. It's like, right. Even the people that I admire have hard times and have to go through stuff. And so I don't know. It just made me want to work and make stuff. <laughs> and being on the beaches in San Diego. Yeah. And being on the beaches in San Diego wasn't Can't bad. Really <laughs> Uh, so thank you so much for joining us on the episode, Sarah. Yeah, thanks uh, for having where, me. where can people find you? Uh, I think CodePen is probably the place where I post the most work. So CodePen, uh, Estraz on CodePen, and then um, on Twitter, Sarah underscore Edo. I just make dumb jokes, and, like mostly <laughs> dad jokes on there. Um, so yeah, those are probably the two places. Great. Well, we appreciate uh, you sharing all the great knowledge of animations today. Um, that's all we have for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Yay, Sarahs. <laughs>